1: Another loaded episode of the College Football Daily, and look at that. It's already December. Good morning. It is Wednesday, December 1st. You are listening to the College Football Daily, of course. My name is Trey Scott. I have a, a quick conversation with Tim O'Malley, Notre Dame reporter. He does a great job at irishillustrated.com, and we always love talking to him. Tim was up bright and early yesterday morning on Tuesday for... Brian Kelly's send-off with his players, if you can call it that, and Athletic Director Jack Swarbrick's conversation with the media. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Brian Kelly leaving. We're going to talk about the scorn he's getting. And the players are rallying around Marcus Freeman, the defensive coordinator. Now, to be fair, we recorded this on Tuesday afternoon. Given how things have been changing, I have no idea by the time you're listening to this if that's going to be relevant. So, I mean, we'll see. But that's what we're talking about here today on the College Football Daily. And then after my conversation with Tim O'Malley, you're going to hear from Lance Glenn and Colin Kennedy with a little bit of college football playoff reaction. And if there's any news on the Oklahoma front, I'm sure they'll talk about that too. All right, here goes Tim O'Malley. Okay, Tim O'Malley joins us. Tim, tell me about the Tuesday morning that you had. The
0: Monday night might have been a little tougher than the Tuesday morning, but uh, this morning, Jack Swarbrick met with media at Notre Dame and and kind of went through the process of losing Coach Kelly to LSU. He noted that he was unaware it was going to happen. That after the fact, he kind of in retrospect saw some little clues maybe along the way that Kelly might be getting restless was the word he used. That were maybe even some uh, Freudian slips I guess Kelly used. So he didn't really expand on that, but. Jack Swarbrick was taken by surprise and that Kelly just called him up and told him he was resigning. And uh, he didn't ask for a counteroffer, which Swarbrick said he appreciated. I kind of found that interesting. I don't think it's surprising that Brian Kelly did not tell his boss that he was flirting with LSU, other places, was courted by LSU, and got married to LSU because I don't think anybody looking for another job tells their boss all those things. It is unfortunate he didn't tell his assistant coaches, a couple of which he was out on the road with at a recruit family's home having a meal (laughs) right after that, he took the LSU job. So that's a tough one. And then with the players having to tell them by social media, as unfortunate as that is, Trey, I think that happens more often than not now because it leaks When you're not there, when you're doing something, one of your head coaching duties, or maybe you're just not in town. And so he apologized to the players for having to uh, have them find out on social media. But if you're going to go through back channels and get a job like this, it is a good chance it's going to leak and your players are going to be the last to find out. Or they're going to find out along with people like us who hear about it, hear reports, start researching it and going through things on social media. So not everything Kelly did is something really that deserves your scorn. But there's a couple of things there that are a little uh, a little shady, I think, especially sitting down with the recruits family and your assistant coaches that have no idea you're leaving 10 minutes later.
1: Yeah, you made a good point that this time of year when that stuff breaks and gets out there, the coaches are usually on the road. Uh, yeah, recruiting. Yeah. I guess it was a group me message that Brian Kelly sent to his team that got leaked. It's just it's classic, um, and, and like I, it, it kind of went viral on Monday night. Yeah. And you yeah. could take like you could Mad Lib some of that stuff and make it a nice you know a, a nice Christmas card to somebody. Limitless <laughs> love and and all that stuff. Um, the seven a.m. meeting people were joking about too. But uh, hey, I woke up on Tuesday. I saw photos from the seven a.m. Uh, meeting with, with the players. Do you believe that that was fully participated uh, in?
0: No, no, I don't. But there was probably pretty good. I I think Jack Swarbrick met with the players afterwards. So I'm sure that was a follow-up. Like, you know, we will be meeting with you after Coach Kelly. I bet that helped a lot with the attendance, especially the older players. I'm sure all the captains, the veteran players were there. I don't know what it would have been if Swarbrick did not meet. I'm I'm told Kelly was there for 11 minutes and drove off and People have kind of made fun of that. But then again, if you're just saying goodbye to people that you're never going to see again, that you recruited to be part of your quote-unquote family, how long are you really going to spend, right? You're not going to sit around and reminisce for 45 minutes. So that sounds about right. Obviously, once it breaks on social media, I mean, the right thing to do is come see the players, and that's what he did. And then at that point, how much do do they really want to talk to you, right? There's maybe a few that you have grown close enough as grown men or something along those lines. But the players are starting to rally around the, you know, we're here for each other, we're here for Notre Dame, and a lot of them appear there for marcus freeman because i have seen players give a lot of love or show a lot of faith and maybe try to make one voice for their soon to be fired head coaches that's even happened for charlie weiss you don't see a lot of it for a coordinator at a school and it seems like to a man they want marcus freeman to be their head coach
1: and a first-year coordinator at that. Uh, yes, I, yes. I, I, I noticed that. I was going through your your Twitter feed. I, I noticed the retweets. I, that it feels like. I will say this because I did an Oklahoma episode yesterday, and that roster is just falling apart. And, and we'll see what happens with them. And, and knock on wood, it's Tuesday afternoon. I could look up in the transfer portal, and, and Notre Dame could be get flooded with guys. But it, it does feel like there's a little bit more stability here with Notre Dame with with waiting for a hire. You know, maybe it's Luke Fickle, and, and maybe they waited out, or maybe they just decide to to do Marcus. For, uh, to to keep mark uh, make marcus freeman the head coach and Mm -hmm. again tim who knows like you know something could break tuesday night but yeah Yeah. i I do appreciate that there's a little bit more stability there within the players
0: yeah i think so and and you're going to have some transfer portal guys and you'll have some decommits that i've already heard will recommit if marcus freeman is the coach which is kind of strange but i mean they are 17 years old and have been lied to and they want to be they want to trust again right so I, i get that especially if you committed to marcus freeman if you're a defensive player and your head coach leaves I would think you waited it out, but not everybody wants to feel that way. Of course, being courted is something everyone loves, right? They always want to have that. So there's another reason to reopen your recruitment. There's no way they're going to survive it completely. Obviously, it just matters who goes. I know there's Brian Kelly has offered, as far as we've heard, Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese jobs. So if Marcus Freeman is not named a coach, I don't want to give a timetable because that's ridiculous. If he's not named a coach through back channels sooner rather than later, he will be gone because he has other opportunities and he will have been turned down at Notre Dame. Now, it takes a lot to be named Notre Dame's coach officially, but that's not the same as being told you'll be named Notre Dame's coach once you are vetted in all the processes and everything like that. Now, the advantage he has is by being on the team already, he's Gone through that process most of the way, so other than getting your salary in order and everything like that, it shouldn't be as slow as Notre Dame's previous hiring process. I mean, we've found out about some assistant coaches being hired January first; they announced it February seventh and stuff like that. <laughs> so it's kind of been ridiculous in the past. I don't think that is the case here. Clearly, they want to have if Marcus is the coach, he'll be in place before it will be well known before the first signing day period, right in mid December. I mean, that's just that's just the logic of modern college football at this point.
1: Can't wait to see what happens. Tim O'Malley, we appreciate it a ton. Know your slammed. We'll let, we'll, uh, we'll let you get back to work.
0: Hey, I appreciate it as well, Trey. And as I said on the podcast, our Irish Illustrated podcast today, if Marcus Freeman is your choice, 1A, 1B, or 1C, you might want to pull the trigger sooner rather than later. But if he's truly choice three, then of course you have to go through the process. and And that's what I think we will figure out here in the next week.
1: All right. Can't wait. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. All right. Thanks to Tim so much. All these guys are really busy, all these people talking to us, and we really appreciate them taking the time to do so. Follow him on Twitter, at Tim O'Malley, Indy. All right. Here's Lance. Here's Colin. They're talking playoff reaction. But if there was any other news that happened on Tuesday evening, they're going to get to it too.
2: All right. Joined right now by Colin Kennedy to talk college football playoff rankings. Colin, first and foremost, how we doing? And I guess the rankings came out, it was 7 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Just give me your initial reaction to this top 25 it basically was kind of exactly what we all thought it was gonna be right i'm pretty
3: sure we got chunk when it comes to this top 25 and we're kind of getting down the stretch and we're getting closer and closer to college wall playoff time and it just feels like these rankings should mean a lot more right now but the bottom line is They don't. I mean, with everything that's going on in college football right now and the pending conference championship games that will obviously shake up the current top 25 that's just been released. You just kind of feel like this is another turning of the page in the rankings. And so I think we really kind of got what we expected. Maybe it's a couple of teams fell in an unexpected manner, i.e. Ohio State or Baylor. But overall, yeah, I would agree with you. This was exactly kind of what we expected.
2: And just to run through the top 25, I'll give you the top 10, starting from 10, Oregon 10, Baylor 9, Ole Miss 8, Ohio State, which you just mentioned, fell five spots to seven after their loss in the big house last weekend. Notre Dame 6, Oklahoma State 5, Cincinnati 4, Alabama 3, Michigan 2, and Georgia staying one. Michigan obviously moving up three spots from five to two off of their win at the big house against Ohio State. And I want to start, look, obviously the big news right now in college football is the coaching carousel, specifically with Notre Dame. You know, I I was following Brandon Marcello's tweets earlier, and he mentioned something very interesting that the committee can take coaching changes into consideration when they determine college football playoff rankings. Do you think Notre Dame being at six, and granted, I know it was the spot that they were in last week too, so they didn't move up, they didn't move down, but do you think Notre Dame being where it is, do you think the committee saw Brian Kelly leaving and it made them kind of, I guess, do a little bit of a double take on Notre Dame that maybe without Kelly, this Notre Dame team just won't be the same going forward?
3: So it, it, it's pretty interesting. And actually, I was I was lucky enough as well when I was a, a student in college to go to a similar event that Brandon Marcello attended, one of the mock college football playoff selections. And that's exactly something that's brought up. You want to analyze these teams based not only on their resume and things like that, but current situations. And that includes not only player injuries, but Coaching changes, And I think in the case of Notre Dame, does this hurt Notre Dame on the field? I would say absolutely. Is this something that the committee will probably consider? Sure. But do I think it's the looming factor that kind of hangs over Notre Dame and its playoff contention? Absolutely not. Lance, I think you and I would both agree. The biggest thing that's holding Notre Dame back right now is it's a lack of appearance in a conference championship game this upcoming weekend. And it's something that Josh Pate brought up in, in a recent late kick edition. I mean, this might be the year that Notre Dame really regrets not being in a conference. And I mean they'd probably be playing for like the ACC championship game this weekend if they were in a set conference. But right now, even with changes to Brian Kelly and his situation, I think you look at Notre Dame and you have to say, coach or not, this is a team that's playing well down the stretch. But because of that lack of an added resume boost, it's still kind of the, the, the primary factor holding it from playoff contention.
2: And, you know, we were before we press record, we were kind of going back and forth on something interesting. You got to look back all the way to 2014. TCU in the final week was number three. Ohio State was number five. This was, I believe, the initial college football playoffs. Again, TCU, uh, Ohio State was five. TCU was three. TCU went 11-1 and that year. Their only, loss to, their only loss was to, I believe, Baylor, who finished in the final college football playoff poll, I think fifth, and TCU finished sixth. I could be wrong, but I believe that's what it was. Ohio State ended up going to three- and obviously, Ohio State ended up winning a national title there in 2014. But I remember it being a big deal because TCU in their final game. And, and again, this was at the time that the Big 12 didn't have a championship game yet. TCU, I don't remember who they played, but they thumped whoever they played. And they ended up ultimately dropping because Ohio State ended up winning the Big 10. TCU didn't have that conference championship game to impress the committee one more time. Do you think, and granted, the situation is different because Cincinnati has a championship game upcoming against Houston. But Cincinnati, I think or I feel, is still in that kind of wary sort of spot where, look, they're still Cincinnati, and you think that right. the committee would do everything they can to kind of keep them out if the situation were to warrant it, if Cincinnati were to, let's say, win, but even play a Houston close. Do you think we could see something like that again, where the committee kind of snubs a team that, that deserves it in order to, I guess, get a more high-profile name in like they did for Ohio State and keeping TCU out in 2014?
3: Yeah, so speaking of not playing in a conference championship game, you kind of see the repercussions of not being in a title appearance like that. I mean, it's what ultimately did TCU in. And on the flip side of this, I think that's what ultimately will get Cincinnati in. If they're able to go out and beat Houston, a ranked team that has won 11 straight games, playing really good football, And uh, it's clearly a team as well that the committee is high on as they've steadily boosted the Cougars up. I do think that Cincinnati, while there's a lot to be questioned regarding that squad, if it goes out and takes care of its business, it's in. I I thought that stretch where roughly three or four games they were winning, but it wasn't necessarily convincing, uh, uh, didn't do much for itself in in terms of favors. But at the same time, you go out, you beat SMU, very convincingly, then you eventually get into the Houston game, and if you win in the fashion that a lot of people hope you do, I think Cincinnati controls its own destiny. Now, whether or not you believe that Cincinnati is truly a better football team than some of these other teams at contention, I'm more than willing to have that discussion, but right now I do think that the resume comes into play because we have a conference championship game because it is a ranked opponent that's going up against Cincinnati, and ultimately this is a team that has gone out and taken care of business, whether it looked pretty. Or not. You just got to get the job done, and if Cincinnati gets the job done this upcoming weekend, I think it will get in.
2: All right, Colin. Last one, and you mentioned Cincinnati. Uh, They're obviously sitting at number four, as I said before. Houston, eleven and one, like you mentioned, eleven straight. They're one loss in the opening week to Texas Tech. They currently sit at twenty-one. But obviously, look, we mentioned at the beginning that this ranking was basically all chalk and that the committee was saying, all right, let's see what happens on Saturday. And that will really obviously dictate, you know, what the final ranking is. Is there a game or two that you have your eye on? Obviously, we have all the conference championship games, but is there one or two that are really sticking out to you that you're saying, I need to be on my couch. I need to be sitting down watching this game from start to finish on Saturday. So
3: for me, that game outside of the American game is the big path for a number of different reasons. Number one, I know we've talked so much about Georgia this season, but as Michigan has gone down the stretch, I don't think we can truly sit here and rule out Michigan potentially winning the national championship. If it goes out there, And really impresses against an Iowa team that obviously, not necessarily a a squad that you really go home and talk a bunch about, but Michigan right now is in uncharted territory. Jim Harbaugh is doing something that not a lot of people expected him to do before the season started. If Michigan goes out and wins, and, and wins in a fashion that turns a lot of heads, maybe we really have to start Talking about Michigan as the primary contender and a potential dethroner to Georgia at this stage. Now, on the flip side of this, and why it's also really interesting, if Michigan were to lose and Iowa were to win, then we really get into kind of the nitty-gritty of all of these teams that have roughly two losses that would love an appearance in the college ball playoff. I.e., if Michigan were to lose... Is Ohio State now vying for a spot? Is Baylor, if they win the Big 12 Championship, going to be able to sneak in and get an appearance? Long story short, if Michigan were to slip up, now we really kind of get into this murky water and we really have to figure out, okay, which teams is the the, the, the committee willing to trust in a Colorado playoff spot and how low does that number get? I think a lot of people were right in circling Ohio State at seven, but Baylor has a conference championship game appearance. Ole Miss has played some really good football. So I think that's what really fascinates me about the Big Ten championship game, specifically outside of the American. If Michigan were to fall, then we really have no idea what's coming up next. If Michigan were to win, I think we really have to start taking the Wolverines seriously as a potential national championship winner here in 2021.
2: And you mentioned two-loss teams if Michigan were to lose, possibly sneaking in. One thing you have to take into consideration, depending on what the final score of that SEC title game is, if Michigan were to lose, could the committee keep a two-loss Alabama in if obviously mm-hmm. that SEC title game is close? That's obviously always something to watch because you know the committee would love to keep Alabama in and keep one of their the sports flagship programs uh, in the college football playoff for one more. Colin Kennedy, thanks so much for doing this, man. Appreciate it late at night. really, uh, really thankful for you to hop on.
3: Really fun, Lance. Thanks for having me on, man.
1: Thanks to both those guys. Both of those guys do a great job and worked hard and and late on Tuesday evening. My name is Trey Scott. Thank you for listening to the College Football Daily. We will talk to you on Thursday. Yes, we're eventually going to talk about championship weekend and, and hopefully news slows down enough to where we can do that on Thursday. Have a good one.